0: We thank you that um, your word is so true, and it goes right to our heart, Lord, and brings conviction and correction. And, Lord, we need that in our lives daily. But also, Lord, it encourages, and most of all, it helps us to see your heart. And, Lord, that's where we want to be today. We want to sit at your feet, and we want to hear from you. So come now and teach us and empower us and do that work in us that needs to be done. Lord, we rely upon you because you're a faithful God. So we thank you now and ask it in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Now, last week, if you remember, we talked about the book of James being like a string of pearls. and it connects one thought to another and it seems a little disconnected sometimes in the way he puts it all down and the way he writes his letter to the church but it eventually as we complete this it makes a beautiful beautiful pearl necklace for us now chapters one and two tell us about our works remember we're to be doers of the word and not just hearers of it only and we're to do certain things chapter three now tells us about our words and our wisdom chapter four as you go on and complete this study will tell you about worldliness and then chapter five will give a warning to the rich of this world, which I can completely forget chapter 5 because I have not any of these qualifications of being rich. So we always have to remember, like we said again last week, that it's a very practical book. And it tells us, again, to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. It's easy to be a hearer of the word, but it's where the rubber meets the road to actually apply these things to our life and walk in the word as we need to be doing. Now, chapter, um, this chapter begins in chapter 3 uh, with the first exhortation. So let's look at that together, chapter 3 of the book of James. My sisters, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, right there, I'm wiped out because I have felt like God had called me to be a teacher. But now he's saying, don't look to be a teacher because you're going to have a big judgment here there, a strict standard that's going to be given to you. And this is why he says in verse 2, for we all stumble in many things, and I certainly stumble in many things. Do any of you, uh, are you perfect in those ways? Um, if you are, we're going to take you out in the parking lot and stone you. But nobody raised their hand, thankfully. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man or woman, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring send forth water, fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my sisters, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? I live in the grape country, the wine country area, Temecula, Murrieta, and I've never seen a grapevine bear figs. Thus no spring yields both salt water water. And fresh. Now, this is hard. By giving an exhortation to those who de- desire to be teachers in the church, James begins his study. Because there's a great responsibility to those who stand in front of you and teach other people. And why is that? Because teaching and being up in the front and having that authority has great influence. We can influence people for either good or for evil, so we have a great responsibility. And James goes on to give two specific reasons, but let me back up for a minute. A teacher can sway you with their words, which behooves us to be good listeners, to be careful what we're listening to, to judge it, to go back and be like the Bereans and look at the scriptures and see that what we're being taught is really in the word. So we need to be very careful as we do this. And these two specific reasons why we were warned is, first of all, we'll be held accountable to every word that we're speaking to someone else. And then also, secondly, because of the way we live our lives. So As a teacher, those of you who desire to be teachers or to be leaders, your walk with the Lord needs to match up with your talk. Because it's easy for me to stand up here and tell you how to live your lives and then go home and live my life in a wretched way. And some of you don't know me. You'll never come to my home. You'll never be in my territory or my turf. And you won't know that, but there might come that time that you will see how I am because we can be one thing in public and one thing in private. But our private life needs to match up with our public life. And let me say that applies to you as well, whether you're a teacher or not. Our lives need to match up with how we are talking to other people. Because they're going to see us out in the community. They're going to see us when we take our kids to school. They're going to see us when we go to lunch with the girls. They're going to see you out at the cleaner or having your nails done. Is your life matching up with what you're professing to believe? So we have a great responsibility. And let me say that we are all teachers in some respect. All of you are teaching someone else. You who are mothers or grandmothers or great-grandmothers like I am, you have an influence over those people in your life. You are teaching the one who is watching you as a neighbor. They are watching your life daily, moment by moment. When you go to church, the young men are watching you as older women in the church because they want to see what they should choose and look for in a godly woman when they make that choice of a wife. The little kids are watching you. They're watching to see how you're dressing. And as we'll get to this, as we continue on, they're watching to see how we talk. I love the fact that I have had godly influences in the teachers in my life. And I've watched their walk, and I've seen that it matches up with their talk. So we need to be very careful and walk very circumspectly, in all that we do and all that we say, because God's going to hold hold us accountable. So our lives should be lived out as well as our talk. Teachers are responsible for what is taught. But you are responsible as hearers for what you listen to and pay attention to. Make sure it's scriptural. Don't just be one who is... Fed by someone else. But you, as women of God, learn to be scholars of his word. Dig deep. That's what you're here for. And you are to be applauded because that's what you want. You would not be here at Bible study if you weren't wanting to do that. But even as you go through your lessons, dig deeper. Find out what it says about that word in the Greek. And you can learn those things from your your Strong's Concordance or Google it even from a dictionary, from Wikipedia, and and learn these things. Go deeper in your walk and your study with the Lord. You are responsible for those things, too. Now, the church originated with God himself, and he will watch over it jealously. So we have to make sure that when we have a desire to teach others, that it's directed by the Holy Spirit and not by our flesh to be noticed. I never wanted to be a teacher. I know you probably don't realize this, maybe you don't even think about it, but I am a very shy person. My natural temperament is to sit at the back of the room and watch everything that's going on and not necessarily be a participant. That would be my druthers. But God had a different plan for my life. When I was filled with God's spirit, I was in a Sunday school class in a denominational church and... I was sitting there, but I was so filled with the love and the joy of the Lord that I thought, I want other people to have and experience what I have been experiencing. Because I just fell in love with Jesus, and he was loving on me. And I was so thrilled about that. I just wanted to share it with everyone. And not knowing what to do, I just went in my neighborhood, and I knocked on doors, and I said, would you like to come to my house and just sit? And we'll just read the scripture, because I'm not a teacher. Not at all. And I said, but we can sit and talk about God's word together. And I had five ladies in my neighborhood who actually came to my house and sat down there. Well, over a period of a few weeks, there was only one woman left. But we sat and we talked about the word. Now, this woman happened to be my next-door neighbor. She had a Ph. What A Ph.D.? Is that the correct word to say? In, in teaching. <laughs> She was a principal of an elementary school. And I was so intimidated by this woman, but this woman was a seeker. She had been reading Edgar Cayce. She had been reading every Paranatural something or other book. Everything, you know, that was leading her in a different way. But she was hungry. And when we sat and we just looked at the word together and began to talk about it, she gave her heart to the Lord, and that woman today is still walking with the Lord. She's the only one of those other women that stuck it out, and it really took. But from that point on, I had such a strong desire in, in me to lead other women to know the Jesus that I know. So all of us have an opportunity. We are all teachers in some way. But we have to be careful Because we can influence others by making the scriptures conform to my own opinion rather than giving you what the word says and letting it be the influence. It's so easy. That's why you need, you and I need to be scholars of God's word. And that's why I appreciate Calvary Chapel so much. Because we teach inductively rather than deductively. Do you know what that means Inductive means we take right from the passage and we explain it, and then we make the application. But deductive teaching, and you will hear this often on the radio, but you need to recognize that deductive teaching takes a premise and then finds scriptures and makes it say what they want it to say. Now, there, there's a place for topical studies, but we need to be careful that we don't make our premise conform to what our thinking is, what we want people to be on the same track as we do. Does that make sense to any of you? Am I getting off track here? Be careful. Learn to do inductive study. It's so important. And let me give you an example of deductive study. You take the premise, God is dead. Can you find a scripture that says that? You can. You can find one little tiny phrase, but it's taken way out of context. But you can other begin to pull other things in to, to build on that, to make it say what you want it to say. So we have to be very, very careful. We take the premise maybe that, God only heals those who have faith. And then you can begin to pull out scriptures that have to do with that and build your own little premise right there. But yes, we are to have faith. But sometimes people in the Bible weren't the ones who had faith. Look at the people who were raised from the dead. I don't think they had faith at all. God just did a supernatural work. So we have to be careful on those things. Now... James continues in this chapter, exhorting us concerning the power of the tongue. Now, we've all heard that children's rhyme. Maybe you've even said it yourself, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is such a lie because words can scar. We can remember things that were taught us. In fact, I had that taunt thrown to me in my early childhood All the time. But also I had that taunt that fatty, fatty, two by four couldn't get through the kitchen door. Which was an absolute lie because that was my problem. I got through the kitchen door too many times. (laughs) But that has stuck with me all the way through even to today. And I've always been a woman who struggled with their weight. So I'm always conscious of that because of what was taught to me. So we can have those hurts and things and be constantly taunted by those things. Words can bless or they can blast. They can heal or they can hurt. They can build or they can tear down. They can inspire or they can cause terrible scars. How many of you in this room have had terrible scars that you can think of from words that were sent to you? Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a relative. Maybe it was a t- another child. Many of you in this room, probably half of you. I remember being inspired by words. When I was 16, I got married because I was pregnant. It was a terrible way to start a marriage, but there it was. And I was still in high school, I was in my senior year. And I was so sick. But I had thought, oh, yeah, I can, I can finish out my year. No problem. I'll make it and everything. But I was so sick and I was so exhausted and so newly wed that I didn't know what I was doing at all. And so after a week or so, I realized, realized that being pregnant and newly married and going to school was just not going to work. So in our high school, you had to have a drop slip and you had to have every single teacher that you were, went to sign that drop slip. So I went to the class, our English class, where our English teacher, Mrs. Boucher, which was about five feet tall, and she wore her hair in a pompadour, completely gray, and she was always very stylish. And I went up to her, and I told her, you know, will you fill out this drop slip? I'm married now, and I'm going to... But I will come back and finish and get my high school diploma, She looked me right in the eye, and she said to me, You will never come back. Now, that doesn't sound like an inspiration, does it? But I took that as a challenge. I thought, I am not going to let her win. (laughs) And after my kids were born and they went to school a few years later, I went back. And I went through my high school and got my high school diploma. And I did it the hard way, the long way. I didn't get one of those tests that you can take and breeze through. I went to all my classes. And then I chose to go to our junior college there in our community And I went and signed up for an English literature class, and do you know who my teacher was? (laughs) Mrs. Boucher, the one that we all hated in high school. She became my very favorite teacher in junior college. I loved that class. But I took her words and turned them around so that they became an inspiration in my life. But on the other side, words can cause terrible hurts and terrible scars. Words can cover a multitude of sin, or they can separate friends, the scripture says. And James begins to use three illustrations to show us the power of the tongue. He talks about a horse. He talks about a ship. And he talks about a fire. A horse has to be bridled to control and guide it. A ship's rudder Though small, can turn a ship around even in fierce winds and waves. How it does that, I don't know. But then he talks about a raging fire that can be kindled by a tiny spark. And it destroys everything in its pathway. That's what the tongue can do. That's the ability of the tongue. It can destroy everything. Just one little word can set a whole raging fire. How many of you remember that fire that swept through San Diego and just destroyed everything in its path? It was horrendous, but it just starts with one little spark, one little flame, and then destroys everything. And oh, the damage and the hurt, heartbreak that it causes Words are important to God because he reminds us that one day we will all give an account of each one that we say. Isn't that scary? Think about the things that you said this week. Maybe in haste. Maybe in anger. Maybe because you wanted to hurt someone else who's just hurt you and you respond or react to that. Think about the things that you said. One day we're going to give account to the Lord. He keeps account of every single word. Boy, his account book must be really huge. And James goes on to acknowledge the fact that most creatures on the earth have been tamed, but no one has been able to tame the tongue. He reminds us that both blessings and curses can proceed from the same mouth, but it should not be like this for those of us who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been in a situation where... Someone asks you a question and you just blurted out in an answer and then you think afterwards what on earth did I say that for? I'm I'm a thrift store shopper. Everything that I have, everything that I wear, my whole house is decorated and clothed from a thrift store. I have a hard time going to a regular store cuz I don't want to pay full price. I'm just cheap. And I forgot where I was going on this. <laughs> brain, brain. But women will ask me, where did you get that? And I will tell them, oh, I got it over here at this thrift store over here, and this is how much it cost. And sometimes I embellish those things or make it look even better than it really is. And I, I And I have to grab back and say, you know what, I, I told you the wrong answer here. Let me correct that. And there's nothing greater that will keep us from doing that, making those mistakes, than going back and saying, I'm sorry. I, I was not truthful with you. And when we apologize for those things, it has a way of reminding us, don't do that again, because it's humiliating. The Bible has a lot to say about our speech, and I hope you won't get bored, because I'm going to read some of these scriptures Ephesians chapter 4 says, put away lying. Now, what about that outfit that you bought and you put it on and your husband asked you, Is, oh, did you go out and buy that? Is that new? Oh, honey, I've had this in my closet for a long time. I, did I tell you the last time about my big thing about getting my haircut? When I moved to this new area where we're at, I was getting my haircut. And it was a certain amount of money, and my husband would ask me every week, How much do you need? And I would tell him, $20 more. Because I could take and use that $20. So I began to collect all this money in my own account. And every week or month, he'd give me that certain amount. And finally, I I just couldn't stand it anymore. Every time I'd go to pray to the Lord or talk to him, he would remind me of that $20. And so finally, I had to get down on my knees before my husband and say, please forgive me, I can't take this anymore from the Lord, this conviction. I said, I've been lying about that all the time. And he just laughed at me. and He says, okay, blah, 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 blah. He says, you owe me this much now. <laughs> but I had to be convicted. Lying. How many times do we just tell a little lie? Whoever would love life, or excuse me, let's go back to Ephesians 4. Put away lying. Speak the truth. Speak good for edification. That word edification means building up. Speak no corrupt words. Let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 1 Peter 3.10 Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from, from deceitful speech. Colossians six. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Ephesians 4.29, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Proverbs 10.19, the prudent hold their tongues. That's a hard one for me. I have an answer for everything. I may not be right, but I always have an opinion. Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 17.9, whoever repeats a matter separates friends. Proverbs 31.29 talks about the Proverbs 31 woman, the godly woman. It says, the law of kindness is in her mouth. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. We're to use clean words, edifying words, truthful words, kind words rather than crude, rude, coarse, vulgar, obscene, lying, gossiping, or suggestive words. Ladies, I'm appalled at the church today because I hear Christian men and women using four-letter words without even thinking about it. It's so easy because everything that we look at, everything that we hear around us are using these words and it's getting more and more blatant. And so it's hard because when we hear those things, then it just automatically comes out of us as well. We, we need to put a guard over our thoughts and over our mouths that we don't use those words. How pathetic is it to watch a toddler saying those same words because mom has been using them or dad's been using them? We need to put those away. What comes out of our mouths is a reflection of what is in our hearts because the scripture says out of the mouth the heart speaks. So when those things come out, it shows the perverseness of our heart. Lisa Terkirst, is that how you say her name? I don't know. She says what comes out of our mouth is a direct reflection of what's stored up in our heart. If we want to assess how we were doing All we have to do is listen to what we're saying. You want to know where your heart is? Listen to the things that you're saying. And only the Holy Spirit can give self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And isn't that interesting? The minute that we come to Jesus Christ, he begins to work these things in our life. And we begin to be convicted about the words that we once used. But let's not go back to them. Let's not go back. As our hearts are sanctified or matured by the Spirit, we begin to look and grow more like speech our, or more like Christ, and our speech will begin to reflect his heart. Would he use those words? I don't think so. I don't think so. So the answer is to, first of all, be filled with the Spirit. And if you're still struggling in this area with words, pray and ask for his help. Just pray and ask for his help. And then think before you respond. That means be quiet. Don't say a word. Think what you were going to say. And then when you make a mistake, repent and apologize to the one that you're speaking to. Now, verses 13 to 18 begin to speak about godly wisdom begin to contrast the wisdom of the world with godly wisdom. And we see that the source of worldly wisdom is earthy, sensual, demonic, full of envy, self-seeking, boasting, and lying. Now those things we don't want in our life. These will always lead in a downward spiral to confusion and wickedness. The wisdom of this world says get it while you can and do whatever it takes to get it. You only go around once, so grab that golden ring while you can. If it feels good, do it. This type of wisdom sounds good, and it often has the appearance of truth when we listen to people such as Oprah, Dr. Phil, Dr. Ruth, and even Ellen DeGeneres, and even some of the religious programs that are available. And believe it or not, even Fox Channel on TV. We have to be careful to what we're listening to because sometimes it starts to make sense to us in in a perverse way. We begin to take on those things, but we have to be careful of who we're listening to as we seek after God's wisdom. Be careful what you're listening to. Be careful what you're watching. Be careful what you're reading the world begins to have an effect on us. The wisdom of this world is perverse. It's ungodly. It comes from the enemy. Godly wisdom can never contradict God's word. If you're listening to this, if it feels good, do it. Or why don't you go over here? Your, your marriage is really not satisfying you. Look how unhappy. Surely God would not want you to feel this way. And he is paying so much attention to me. He's such a godly man. He goes to church and he sits there on the other side while I'm sitting here with my husband. And my husband's certainly not the man that I thought he was going to be. God would not want me to stay in this marriage. So the next step is to just have an affair or divorce my husband and go with this guy. That's the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world. Be careful. And again, be like the Bereans. Test everything by the word of God. And in contrast, godly wisdom originates with the fear of God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And it begins with a right relationship with him. So if we want to have godly wisdom, we've got to have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to look to him as our source of all wisdom and look to his word. And James gives eight signs to look for when we're seeking counsel or the wisdom from the Lord. It will always be pure. It will always be peaceable. There will be a, a peace in our heart. It will always be gentle. It will always be willing to yield. It won't be striving all the time. If you're seeing that strife in your life or strife in someone else, then, then that godly wisdom needs to be changed. It needs to be God's wisdom and not man's wisdom. This wisdom will be merciful. It will be fruitful. It will be without partiality, which we talked about last week. It will be without hypocrisy. A wise woman is a woman of faith, and she's subject to and taught by God himself. Her speech is filled with kindness. It's filled with gentleness. It's filled with meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness means strength that's been brought under control. That's what you put a bridle and a bit in a horse's mouth for. A wise woman is filled with kindness, gentleness, meekness. Strife and envy Envy indicate a life that's out of harmony with God. Are you experiencing strife? Are you experiencing envy in your life? Then that indicates you're out of harmony with God. So just get back into harmony with God. Come to him and say, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I can't correct this in my own heart and life anymore. And many times we can't do it in our flesh, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Scripture tells us that Christ is the wisdom of God. And if we are seeking more of him, he will guide us into all truth. He will help us to keep our tongues under control. And we'll be always sowing seeds of peace and righteousness. The Scriptures have a lot to say about words of wisdom, words that are godly. Abigail, in the Scriptures, is a great example of a woman who was very wise with the wisdom that came from the Lord. Remember the story of David? He's coming to the field of Nabal, and his men are hungry, and they need something to eat, and they've been protecting Nabal's flocks, and Nabal says, I'm not giving you anything. What do I owe you? You're a vagabond. And David responds or reacts by saying, I'm going to take him out. Who does he think he is? And Abigail overhears this. In fact, the name Nabal means a fool. And she knew the background of her foolish husband. But to keep him from being slaughtered and everyone else, Abigail begins to fix a meal. And she takes it over to David to appease his anger and wrath. She was a wise woman. And then she went back to her husband and told him actually what had happened. And Nabal was attacked then with a heart attack, and he just fell over. And a few days later, died. So Abigail was a wise woman because she had godly wisdom. Naomi is another wise woman. That's listed in the scripture for us. She guided her daughter-in-law when she went to the threshing floor that night to meet with Boaz. Even though as you study that story, it looks like she told Ruth to do something that was ungodly by going and presenting herself to to Boaz. But she was actually sending her down to propose marriage, which was apropos in this situation. Now... uh, An ungodly woman that we have listed for us in the scripture is Michal, David's wife. She was a foolish woman. Remember when the ark was taken and then the ark was brought back by David? David was so excited and so happy, he began to dance in the street just in his loincloth. And Michal looked out from the window where she was, and she despised David. And when David came in, she began to criticize him and showed disrespect to him. The consequences of her life were the fact that she had a barren body. She never bore children, but most of all, she had a barren heart. When we have a critical attitude, when we are complaining all the time, when we are gossiping all the time, when we are telling things that we shouldn't be telling and disclosing secrets that been told to us in confidence... We have a, a foolish heart. We're, be going, we're on the pathway to having a barren heart. Have you ever been around someone who's done nothing but complain? Pretty soon you don't want to be around that person anymore. I have a past friend that all that came out of her mouth was criticism constantly and complaining. Nothing was ever good. Nothing was ever joyful. And pretty soon I watched as people just pulled away from her. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Be careful how you live your life. God wants us to be wise women because we're teaching other to follow us in our example. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. This is a hard lesson to swallow, but oh how we need it. And I am guilty, Lord. Some things Come out of my mouth unexpectedly. And Lord, I'm ashamed of those things. Please give me a mouth that glorifies you, that builds others up, that blesses them, that encourages them, that inspires them. And Lord, let all of us have this kind of attitude. And let us be wise women who reflect you. In all that we do and all that we say, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.